Mississippi. Europe is on its back. Now it's really impacting everything. Economic efficiencies, which means more job opportunities. More stable investment has been the preferred asset class. Money for nothing. Good morning and welcome to Monday's Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotra-Hora. The impact of the Nepal earthquake could exceed 20% of its GDP. HSBC considers a return to Hong Kong for its global headquarters and a sale of its UK retail bank. And the Eurogroup of EU finance ministers fails to reach an accord with Greece over economic reforms. Well, after a good week for global stock markets, investors now once again turn their attention to the next meeting of the Federal Reserve Open Market Committee this Wednesday. And as we await their latest decision on U.S. interest rates, we'll talk with our regular Monday contributor and international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. After that, we have two guests to talk about fintech startups and their investment capital, Gerald Ida of Compare Asia Group and um, Raphael Strauch of the Nova Founders Capital are both here with us this morning. And Alex Wong, our regular Monday guest host, is back in the chair. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Juanita. So, Alex, futures this morning indicate a mildly stronger start for Asian markets. Can we expect a calmer week uh, in Hong Kong and China? Oh, I think uh, this week uh, we would still remain strong uh, because of you have mentioned the news on HSBC, so probably we would see uh, continual strength in HSBC supporting the market. But I think uh, we probably may see some profit taking in China shares. So that means uh, we would have a polarized uh, market performance again. We probably would see some strength in local bull chips, but uh, some profit taking in China stocks. And and then probably we would head into the um, FOMC and the future expiry on, on Wednesday. So uh, probably towards the end of this week, uh, we would see increased volatility. Of course. What else should we expect? Mm -hmm. Well, the Nepal earthquake has had a devastating impact on the country's economy. Uh, Nepal, of course, is a very poor nation with limited capacity to finance relief efforts and construction from its own resources. Now, with housing construction standards in the country being extremely low, initial reports by IHS Global say that the long-term cost of reconstruction could exceed $5 billion, which is around uh, 20% of Nepal's GDP. And U.S. markets powered higher into record territory as the Nasdaq closed its second consecutive record high. The index is now 1% below its all-time intraday closing high achieved in March 2000. And the Nasdaq advanced 3.2% on the week, which is its best weekly performance in six months. The index has now been joined in record territory also by the S&P 500, which closed up 1.8% for the week at a new closing record high of 2,117. And the Dow Jones Industrial Average rose 1.5% over the week. JP Morgan Asset Management Global Market Strategist Kerry Craig is quite bullish on U.S. stocks. 
Uh, I think the U.S. stocks still have uh, room to run. They are at record highs. The S&P 500 hit many, many highs uh, last year. But I think it's more about the valuations and what you're paying for those companies at the moment. Uh, the Nasdaq has hit a record high. In real terms, it's still 27% off its prior peak. The valuations on those companies are nowhere near what they were in the prior tech bubble. And that's what value, uh, investors need to remember. They just need to remember what they're paying for those companies and what they can expect to get from here in a market that has moved so much higher. But there are risks. I think in the, particularly in the US, the biggest risk is the attitude to what the Fed is going to do and when it's going to raise rates. We've seen those expectations being pushed well out into the end of the year. And there is a case of saying if you get a couple of better data points, they come forward again and people just aren't pricing that in. And you will see that volatility come back to the market and you will see stocks react badly to that. Now, in uh, European corporate news, Deutsche Bank has announced a restructuring plan that will involve slimming down its investment bank and selling its post-bank retail banking business. The move comes after Deutsche Bank agreed with regulators that a $2.5 billion fine for manipulating the LIBOR benchmark interest rate. So uh, the question is then, are the worst of the banking scandals behind us? Here is IUR's uh, Capital Managing Director, Gareth Ryan. Something that they want to move on from. Mm. Other banks still have to resolve the matter. FX is the next big uh, thing on the horizon. Uh, they've got things going on there that you know really need to be resolved. Five years now, LIBOR has been going on. I really hope FX scandal isn't going to last that long. HSBC is launching an immediate review into the location of its headquarters and may move back to Hong Kong. The Sunday Times quoted senior sources at the bank as saying that HSBC directors are also considering the future of its UK operations, its UK retail operations, I should say. HSBC re-domiciled from Hong Kong to London in 1993. However, a combination of increasing UK taxes, high regulation and the threat of a British referendum on leaving the EU has prompted the review. The Hong Kong regulator said in a statement that it would welcome the return of HSBC to the city. Here's Shadow uh, Alex. Actually, I should ask you, HSBC now has a balance sheet nine times the size of Hong Kong's GDP. Do you think a move uh, to Hong Kong would bring any kind of financial risks to, you know, financial stability in the city? Oh, uh, no, I, it has previously been Hong Kong and I think uh, this is a um, this will not be as serious as that I think I think this is just a um, uh, relocations and then because of the test treatment I think uh, that would not have to that that kind of impact the news uh, from HSBC, of course, has led to a sharp rebound in Hong Kong stocks. The Hang Seng Index gaze, uh, gained 1.4% for the week. And in China, the Shanghai Composite Index gained almost 2.5% over the week, despite some profit-taking at the end of the final session. Victor Schwetz is the head of Asian strategy at Macquarie Securities in Hong Kong, and he's got a pretty startling view on Chinese interest rates. China nominal GDP probably is no longer growing at all. Mm -hmm. uh, officially, it's 7% real, 6% nominal. If you look at PPI, it's probably, which is strongly negative, it's probably closer to zero. Now, what it means, China needs to liquefy, just like everybody else. So Chinese interest rates are probably going to go to zero. Within 12 months, probably there won't be any interest rates left in China. China needs to liquefy. First time I've heard it put it like that. Alex, do you agree that uh, China rates are going to zero? No, I think uh, a high interest rate, higher interest rate, is not that bad uh, because uh, that means that you you would uh, will, um, allocate your capital more 
carefully, actually, especially in the case of China. So uh, I think they probably would would not be um, they would not do that too drastically. I think they need to allocate the capital more efficiently and more carefully. So I think a a substantially lower interest rate actually would um, would be bad in the longer term sense. Actually, mm, okay. Let's bring in Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent. He joins us live on the phone now from Washington D.C. Good morning, Barry. Good morning, Renita, and good morning, Alex. So, Barry, the FOMC meets on Wednesday to uh, discuss interest rates. What new information on the economy do they have now since their last meeting that could uh, tip the scales one way or the other? Well, I don't think they've got a lot. They've got some earnings reports that are better than expected and probably will continue to be good this week as they go up to this Tuesday-Wednesday meeting. But I think the data has been sparse. And in fact, probably it's a little bit on the positive side because auto sales continue to be strong. Housing, you know, has had some mixed numbers over the past week. Retail sales, likewise mixed. But, you know, there's, there's a sense that consumer confidence is holding up. So I don't expect any surprises on Wednesday, although the wording of the statement, Renita, is going to be critical because it is that forward guidance that may give a clue as to when rates are going to go up here in the States. And by the way, I found that Macquarie report quite alarming, but that's your end of the spectrum over there. I can't comment on China, but wow, that's something. Yeah. So it seems to me. Uh, hold, hold that thought just a second, Barry. Um, you know, before we talk about China, we'll also get a first snapshot of uh, the Q1 GDP for the U.S. on Wednesday. And just wondering, what are your expectations for economic growth in this past quarter? Very interesting, you know, that the expectation among those highly paid economists who are paid to predict these figures is 1% at an annual rate. So first quarter GDP, 1% annual rate. Well, that's very low, certainly lower than I had expected. If that is true, we're going to have to grow much faster in the rest of the year if we're going to get to a 25 to 3% actual growth for 2015. We did have a strong... I should say severe winter, and of course the first quarter is reflective of that, and we have this port slowdown on the West Coast, which is very significant. You know, when I was out there just uh, six weeks ago, I mean, everything was backed up. There were 30 ships out there at sea, and that has really affected the whole logistics chain in the state. states, and I think that that may be in the market as well. So maybe 1% is exactly where we're going to end up. Yeah, Barry, there's been a lot of talk and a lot of comment on uh, sort of a slowdown because of the weather and certainly the port strike. I mean, the port strike, of course, is, you know, more of an unusual thing. But the weather, I mean, this happens every year. So is is this typical of the U.S.? (laughs) Well, you know, isn't that odd? Because, you know, everyone is concerned, rightly so, about climate change. But here in the States, these last two winters in the Northeast have been severe, it's been, you know, very high snowfalls in places like Upper Michigan, New York State, into New England. And I, I think that that does affect economic growth. I, I can't say more than that, except that uh, all of the statistics from weather sources would say that the last two northeast U.S. winters have been more severe than normal. 
Now, uh, Barry, uh, you know, coming to your, the Eurozone, once again, you know, the Eurozone finance ministers appear furious with Greece over their failure to present a comprehensive reform package. And Heron Jesselblom has categorically ruled out making a partial payment to Greece in exchange for a uh, narrower program of reforms. What are your thoughts on uh, what's going to happen? Well, it's interesting. I watched uh, most of the videos from Schäuble and from Dijsselbloem and the others in Riga from Friday. You're right. They're furious at Yarafakis. They think the Greeks are just playing for time and not serious because, you know, this is not the first deadline that the Greeks have missed. This is the second or third. So I think what has happened is that the smaller countries that are part of the Eurozone are beginning to say very strongly and directly to Varoufakis, hold it, this is our money too, it's not just the Germans. So let's see your plan, and then we can get on and talk about it. There was anger in a lot of those people who spoke to the media after this really, I think, failed meeting with Varoufakis in Riga. So we're not going to see any news, but look at what Merkel did in Germany. She, on this special summit having to do with migration, made a point of spending time with Tsipras, the Greek prime minister. It is everyone, Renita, going about saying, you know, if the Greeks go out, if the Greeks default, it's not going to be our fault. Everyone wants to say, after you, Gaston, not that we caused it. So the drama goes on. The drama does go on, but we've gone from a place where we said, oh, no, you know, Greek is, Greece is not going to exit. That's not good for the EU to a place where we said, well, they're not going to exit, but they're going to default uh, to now perhaps, you know, how do you differentiate between the two? I mean, if they default and they're reliant on sort of, you know, the Greece central bank, I mean, then uh, in effect, haven't they exited? Well, I think Alex and I agree on a lot of these things, and I suspect we may agree on this. Look at the euro currency. It has rebounded. So if there's going to be a disaster, and certainly the markets are aware that the Greeks are up against the wall, you would have expected the euro-dollar rate to go down. It has been going up over the last couple of weeks. German interest rates remain very low, well below U.S. rates. Greek rates go up. So I think there is some truth to the notion that the Europeans are better prepared and that the rhetoric that some of them say privately that they can handle either a default or an exit from the Greeks may be true without contagion. But again, I think the drama will simply go on and on. Alex? Oh yes, I agree on that. Actually, if you look at the um, financial markets, only the uh, stock markets have been have been uh, uh, under pressure in Europe. So other other indicators actually are quite um, uh, resilient, as uh, Barry had pointed out. So probably, I think uh, if we see anything drastic, probably I think uh, the stock market may have may bottom out and 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 turn up because of this actually. Okay, so Barry, uh, back to sort of what you were saying about Macquarie and China. What are your thoughts here? I mean, some commentators are now suggesting uh, that interest rates there also need to go to zero. What do you think? Well, you know, Renita, I hate to be the guy without an answer, but um, I have a sense of my limitations. I don't think I can even speak intelligently on that. You're so much closer to it than I I do think that there's a lot of talk going on about the weakness of the Chinese banks. But I hear just as many people saying that the slowdown in growth in China is useful, is cautious, and in the long term is good. 
So I don't know where I stand, and I'm, I'm afraid I simply can't answer your question. So, Barry, of course, Alex doesn't think it's going to happen, but uh, the question is, if central banks in the U.S., Europe, Japan, and China all have interest rates at zero, if this happens, what does this say about the state of the global economy? Well, it's fragile. And, uh, you know, the crisis was way back in 2007 and eight. But look, QE has produced stock market rallies here in the States. Maybe people, sorry, would quarrel with my use of the term has produced, but certainly it has corresponded to a stock market rally in the States. It seems to be happening in, in Europe now with QE. It happened in Japan. You know, so maybe, maybe equity prices are going up. I, myself, Renita, don't see that this low interest rate environment means that the global economy is in trouble. I think we're muddling through pretty well, and I don't see any immediate problems. All right. Barry, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That's Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent, on the phone from Washington, D.C. Let's take a look at the numbers now. The Nikkei is up one-tenth of a percent this morning to 20,039. Australia's ASX index is also up one-tenth of a percent to 5,912. And Seoul's Kospi is up uh, four-tenth of a percent to 2,169. In currencies, one euro is currently currently worth 1.08 US dollars. The US dollar is trading at 118 yen and one pound sterling will buy you 11 Hong Kong dollars and 76 cents and also one dollar and 50 US cents. Starting from April 1st, 2015, plastic shopping bag charging will be fully implemented to cover all retail outlets. All plastic shopping bags, including flat top bags, non-woven bags and paper bags with plastic coating will be subject to a charge of 50 cents each or more. Retailers giving out free plastic bags may be prosecuted. Use less. Waste less. Bring your own bag. For details, please visit the Environmental Protection Department's website. The time is now 8.20 a.m. And how often have you tried to look for financial products online and been confronted by an array of confusing choices? This morning we have Gerald Eder, who is the managing director and co-founder of Compare Asia, which operates a financial comparison website in Hong Kong under the brand name Money Hero. Good morning, Gerald. Good morning. Good morning. So, Gerald, what is a financial aggregation site? I mean, what does that actually mean? Thank you very much. Absolutely. So, first of all, it's a, it's a fantastic time for the Compare Asia Group. We have secured this um, 40 million US dollar funding round from some of the world's largest and most prominent investors, such as Goldman Sachs, Charting Pacific, and also some iconic entrepreneurs like Mark Pinkers, the founder of Zynga. So, why is that? We have created a, a true win-win business that is good for people as well as good for business. So it's good for the consumers because um, consumers can go um, to our website here in Hong Kong called moneyhero.com.hk and they can compare financial products for free. So when it comes to credit cards, loans, as well as insurance products, they find all products in the market listed and sorted um, by, by, by facts. And then they can um, find the right product that fits their needs because everybody has um, a different, every uh, product provider, every bank and insurance company has a different value proposition. Everybody is good at something. If it's the price, the coverage, the benefits, 
and also on the other side, the, the consumer um, you know, has different. Um, every, everybody has a different. Um, you know, uh, requirements of what is important to them. So, Gerald, there are a lot of these uh, kinds of websites in Europe and the U.S., but so far they haven't taken off in Asia. Well, why is that? Very good question. I mean, financial comparison um, exists already since um, around 15 years in other markets around the world. Um, there are billion-dollar companies in the Western markets, such as you know, in Germany or in Europe and uh, the U.K., and it's also well established in, um, in emerging markets like India and um, China. But when, 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 when we looked at the market here in, uh, in Asia, especially Southeast Asia, we just realized that nobody has built this you know, in, a, in a very professional way. And that's why we, we started this you know, one and a half years ago, and we're now in eight markets across Asia. And how has it progressed uh, you know, in, in the time since you've started one and a half years? I mean, uh, take us through the growth. Yeah, in, we, we bootstrapped the company, you know, from, from the very beginning. Um, it's very little resources and um, um, lots of heart and dedication and um, long hours, sleepless nights. But um, step by step, we, we we moved forward, and um, it was a very very hard hard start. But ultimately, over time. You start aggregating more products. You know, your website becomes better. You have more partners on our website. More people are joining the team. And you, you become stronger as a group. And especially being in eight markets and at, at the same time, you know, really allows us to, to, to reap the benefits of economies of scale where we really learn from each other and work together. And what kind of financial partners do you have um, you know, as part of Money Control? Yeah, so... First of all, um, so we work with, with um, prominent, um, with, with leading, the leading banks such as HSBC, Citibank, and also some top insurance companies like MSIG here in Hong Kong. Um, but ultimately, we are very customer-centric um, business. Um, consumers will find on our, our Hong Kong website, moneyhero.com.hk, the entire market, irrespective of um, if we get, irrespective of uh, we're getting paid by the providers or how much we get paid from the providers, um, it's, the, the website is entirely free for the consumer, and they can can screen the entire market. They can sort, rank, and filter the products uh, and find the right product that fits their needs. So, if it's free for uh, you know the people, the consumers, how do you actually get paid? What's the business model? Yes, yeah, so we have a, a, a trading relationships with the banks and insurance companies, and um, they pay us a fee for marketing and um, IT infrastructure. Uh, IT in- infrastructure, you said? Yes, absolutely. So think about it. Um, right now, um, um, the, the banks and insurance companies, their alternative to acquire m- um, new customers is more um, TV commercials, more r- radio advertisement, more branches, more salespeople. And it's a very inefficient um, way of acquiring new customers, and it's, it, can be, it can become very expensive. Um, and when banks and insurance companies work with us, we can use um, technology you know, through the Internet and reach out to the entire country at, um, much more efficiently. And ultimately, the benefit for the banks and insurance companies to work with us is that they can lower their costs of acquisitions. I see. All right, let's bring in Raphael Strauch, who is the managing partner of Nova Founders Capital, one of the investors in the Compare Asia Group. Good morning, Raphael. Good morning. So, Raphael, um, how, what persuaded your company to actually invest in Compare Asia? Yeah. 
Ultimately, in general, it comes always down to um, for us to four parts before we make an investment decision. So one part is we always looked at um, the companies um, that, that that we potentially want to support that they really solve a problem. If you look at if you look at Gerald's company, MoneyHero.com.hk here in Hong Kong. Um, you know, just imagine you try to find a credit card. There are hundreds and hundreds of credit cards in Hong Kong. So how can you find out um, what is the real one for you? You can go from bank to bank to bank and open an Excel spreadsheet and try to compare, or you just go to the platform and within a couple of minutes and a couple of filters, you really have a complete overview and can find the right product for you. So one part, as mentioned, is solving a real problem. The other part is we're looking for scalability. That um, that is a, a scalable scalable business model. This is certainly the case here. Um, that are still the opportunity um, to support um, the market leader, but most importantly, it all comes down to the to the team. Now, of course, there are lots of startups here in Hong Kong that are taking shape. Many of them have scalability, and many many of them are solving problems. Were you specifically looking for a startup to invest in the financial space? Yeah, so um, under Nova Founders Capital, we are very much focused on the on the fintech space. So everything that touches on banks and insurances. If you look at um, the fintech um, space as a whole, um, you know banks and insurances they belong to the largest corporations in every single economy of the world, but they haven't really done much innovation in the last in the last fifty years. So we really believe that this massive this massive pie is about getting um, redistributed to new players. And sort of what kind of future plans would you like them to undertake? But ultimately, it's really if you if you if you think at markets like Europe, um, you know, if you think about my my mom, who's not certainly not the most tax savvy person in the world, but before she would buy any financial product in the world, she would always um, go first to financial comparison side, and it's really a household name and, and a household um, and, a, and a very normal normal natural thing to do for people, and we we want them um, to same to achieve it here across the markets in Asia. And are you finding that? Um sort of regular people like your mom but over here in Hong Kong or you know in these other eight markets mm. are actually using the site I mean absolutely I mean it's it's not a household name yet but that's kind of you know we come in and we, we provide them sufficient capital to make that happen How scalable a business do you think this is I mean they're already in eight markets mm. where further I mean, can they grow I mean it's it's it's, it's always it's always a good question but you know just look at um, markets like the UK there's a, a one player um, there are 20 players in the whole market there's one player in specific um, that's only active in the UK so 2 billion dollars a company so you can do the math what you can achieve in a 600 million people region all right. Well, thank you. Very interesting stuff. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. That was uh, earlier Gerald L. Eder, who is the managing partner of the Compare Asia Group, and Raphael Strouch, who is a managing partner of Anova Founders. Well, here we are almost at the end of the show. Let's take another quick look at the numbers thus far. The Nikkei is now down a four-tenth of a percent to 19,928. Australia's ASX index is up half a percent to 5,936. And Sol's be up three-tenths of a percent to 2,167. Gold is currently valued at $1,175.20 per ounce and Brent crude oil at $65.40. Well, Alex, we are back to that time of the month when we're waiting for the Fed again. Is that going to be the main event of this week, you know, that the markets will focus on? Oh, I think for Hong Kong, probably not. I think Hong Kong probably still uh, would um, rely on the momentum in China. But I think... uh like I've said, there would be some profit taking uh, in China this week, as I, as I expect, because we had a very strong month for Chinese equities already. So probably towards the end, probably people would like to lock in their profits. And probably they would switch their funds to local blue chips like uh, HSBC. So we would see a round of uh, switching in Hong Kong, I think. 
All right. Well, volatility, once again, might be the name of the game. Thanks, Alex. That's our regular Monday morning guest host, Alex Wong, Director of Asset Management at Ample Capital. And I'm Renita Malhotra-Hura, closing up for this morning's edition of Money for Nothing. A quick look at the weather forecast today. It'll be mainly fine at first with sunny periods during the day and a maximum temperature of around 28 degrees. Currently, the temperature is 22 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is 86%. Time for the news now with Samantha Butler. Vast tent cities have sprung up in the Nepalese capital Kathmandu for the many people displaced by Saturday's devastating earthquake. More than 2,500 people are known to have died in the disaster. Hundreds of thousands of people spent a second night out in the open, many afraid to return home after the strong aftershocks that hit, hit the region yesterday. The US and British governments have sent additional teams to support the rescue and aid operations, which are being hampered by blocked roads and bad weather. Patrick Fuller from the International Federation of the Red Cross said it was difficult to access remote rural areas. Getting into these areas is a big concern. It's a big question mark. We simply don't know the situation, nor does anyone really, the scale of the damage outside of the Kathmandu Valley. There's a population of over 6 million people living in this area. We have Red Cross teams and units on the ground. We can't reach them. And even our own people have been affected in Nepal. We've lost a number of staff and volunteers. A Chinese push to build new islands may undermine peace and security in the South China Sea, according to a statement to be issued by ASEAN leaders. The Association of Southeast Asian Nations meets in Kuala Lumpur today. The chairman's statement, yet to be publicly released, instructs the region's foreign ministers to address the matter. Recent satellite photos show China conducting large-scale reclamation projects at reefs that are also claimed by the Philippines. Australia's foreign minister says Indonesia